Hi everyone, welcome to Did You Watch The Race, the F1 podcast that looks at Formula 1 from the dual perspective of a long-time fan and a relative new fan to the sport. I'm Colm and I've been watching F1 for four years. I'm Jason and I've been watching F1 for the last 15 years or so. I'm producer and social media manager Gemma and I've been watching F1 for four years. Despite Gemma's predictions that it was highly unlikely that the Emilia-Romagna GP in Italy would be cancelled due to storms, the FAA finally came to the right decision not to go ahead with the race, so we will be previewing the Monaco Grand Prix that's happening this weekend. We also have a new segment that will run across the next few episodes, and that's a history lesson from Gemma on the evolution of the F1 teams we know and love today. So, did you just watch the race? I watched the rain. <laughs> no, yeah, I suppose we kicked the news off with that. The FIA... And, well, Formula 1 management as well, making the right decision for a change. That's pretty, pretty cool, you know. I mean, after about 100 bad decisions, surely one good decision was bound to come up, statistically. A broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh, I don't even think it was particularly their decision to make. Like, a lot of uh, government officials in the area had said the race basically can't go ahead, that they hope the FIA come to the right decision. So they were kind of fortunate in one way that they were getting told they had to make the decision they came to. But I think, I like to think that they would have got to that anyway. Don't take this away from them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was the right decision considering that the strain was already there on the emergency services. Like there was, it would not have made any sense to like pull them away to do the race, which is not a necessity. Like, yeah, exactly. It was, and there's there so many factors into it as in bringing what, 90,000 people into an area that's currently being told to stay inside. There's, uh, obviously, like you said, Gemma, the emergency services side of it. And then just the fact that there's no guarantee that the race would have been able to go ahead anyway. So at least they just made that made that call from early in the week. There's no news yet about how this will affect the calendar. I assume they're not going to revisit Imola. I would be very surprised. There, there was talk that they might try fit in in around the summer break, but I, I can't see them doing that. I think what also adds to that is the fact that Imola has been extended for another year to 2026. So that seems like that's a oh here we're just not going to do it this year. Here's an extra year in your contract. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think yeah, when you look at it, like the situation changed completely from when we spoke about it last Monday. Uh, like it was terrible in the region and hopefully everyone's all right hopefully everyone living in the area yeah is okay the main thing is their safety yeah and we got to see yuki obviously he lives in faenza like that's oh, his does he? yeah yeah he's been living there for the last couple of years i think since the year after he started with alpha tower he's been oh, living wow, there. i didn't know that yeah he says he loves it like as in even when he's away in japan He's looking forward to getting back to Faenza. He just really likes the area. So it was nice to see him out along with the staff and the factory kind of helping where they can. Obviously, you know, it's a it's a small gesture, but it's still nice to see. Oh, yeah. Seeing like especially someone like Formula One driver who has, let's be honest, a lot of money and influence like going and helping and like having yeah, their feet yeah. on the ground is like just a nice gesture in general. And um, So, yeah, shout out to Yuki if you're listening. We approve. On to now from tracks to contracts. Wee-hee. Ferrari and Leclerc are reportedly in talks at the moment. So Leclerc's current contract ends next year. So I imagine that the talks are beginning quite early in the season to determine his place in Ferrari or 
to be honest, Ferrari's place in Leclerc's life because he's a sad boy. Yeah, I think these are going to be an interesting story as it develops because there are so many different bargaining chips on both sides for this. You know, you have on one side, you have Leclerc. He's probably the next best, apart from maybe Russell after Max, one of the best drivers on the grid in terms of pure raw speed. But then on the Ferrari side, they know where else is he going to go? You know, he's not going to get into Red Bull. Mercedes isn't the seat he used to be. And then you still have Hamilton and Russell there. Then on Ferrari side as well, you have the new set of regulations then coming up in 2026 too. So that kind of gives a bit of leverage to both of them where Ferrari will be telling him, we're building up for 2076, 20, you know, and that'll be part of the contract. And then Leclerc will have, I want to be in the best possible team by 2026. So, yeah. But obviously this year, Ferrari have stepped it up in terms of their performance and their strategy. And we've actually seen kind of an inversion of Leclerc bidding it a few times. And we had discussed previously the irreparable damage mentally on Leclerc not having faith in the car. And that's probably affecting his drive. So it's really interesting this year that they have to negotiate the contract because it would be far more black and white if it was this time, maybe even two years ago, where it was clearly Ferrari's fault but now it's kind of a bit of a 50-50 situation it could go either way yeah I don't really see him going anywhere like I think I agree with Jason I don't know where else he would go but not only that I feel like Ferrari have shown promise they've gotten definitely gotten better I know they keep making mistakes now but I think with the new team principle they would have expectations that they can start getting their house in order and performing better I don't think I see Leclerc moving anywhere else that's a good point isn't it with the new team principle that could possibly be why these contract negotiations are starting what is effectively a year early that they're trying to it is very early they're trying to set out this plan now for the next five years this they want to keep him in the team keep him happy and doing that this now probably will help with that it's part of them changing out all their heads of strategies that kind of stuff they're nailing him down for the next x number of years as part of the project do you think they'd want to lock him in for another five years or do you think they'd want to do maybe like a smaller contract I think it'd be beneficial for both of them like because because the demo saying yeah it's 50-50 it's not all Ferrari's fault Leclerc hasn't been performing as well like yes he's fast but he's inconsistent would they want to commit to another five years of him would he want to commit to another five years of them like it could be a possibility where they're looking at one or two year contracts just to bide their time and both of them can see where they're at in a couple of, couple of years I think for both of them a longer term contract probably is better I think Ferrari will want some sort of consistency through that car and through into a new set of regulations as well. They want to have that marquee driver. I know we've talked about this a lot before, right? Science first Leclerc, but you you want that marquee driver that can just turn it on a day and do it. Science isn't that driver and they'll be keeping an eye out for the like a Norris or Albon maybe even you know over the next kind of number of years for that second so that, you know they're comfortable with the second seat if they can get Leclerc tied down I think it's a it'd be much better for Ferrari than Leclerc if that makes sense and then from Leclerc's side though just in terms of the season he's having it's nice to get that bit of validation from the team to say no look we know you're having a rough season at the moment but we have faith in you let's build together let's work this together you know also on the contract side Hamilton and Mercedes are in negotiations at the minute it's mostly about salaries and trying to nail down what Hamilton should be paid at this stage I for me I, I I'm surprised that Hamilton would be looking for more money I don't know if that's what the, the negotiations are about but obviously like at this point I say he's obviously very wealthy and I know he's probably trying to set himself up for the future um, and I'll have to worry about working ever again but I'd say there's massive opportunity for him there to be involved in the sport afterwards and also in my head at this point I feel like it would be more that he wants to be part of the, the team that can win still I'm surprised that he's trying to negotiate money if that's the case yeah so I read the article on this of of Toto talking about it it, it's, it sounds like kind of weird one where yeah, they mentioned money a lot but he said it's it more so seemed like a kind of point of view where he said I've been working at Hamilton for so long we're really good friends it's very awkward to 
discuss salaries with him. But did this not happen in 20, for the 2021 season where um, Hamilton left it really late and it was because of salaries? Yeah, there's never really been concrete reports about what it is. But yeah, you'd assume money at the end of the day is is what does it all, you know, so... I was going to say that Hamilton obviously has... is He's entering the next phase of his life, essentially, as a driver, and he knows he's... I don't want to dismiss him because he hasn't won a world championship in two years, but... <laughs> oh, no, I would how say Because <laughs> he's shit. No, but I mean, like, as in, he's getting older, he... The car that he is in is not as good as it used to be. He's not winning, obviously, as many uh, races, and I would say he is probably looking towards the next... 10 to 15 years of his career and thinking how can I manipulate this to my advantage and not in a bad way but in a a career savvy way I guess in a in a money savvy way like I would say like his... do you think he's it's like it's not about the money at all and you think he's just kind of using it as a chip to not be nailed down yeah I find it bizarre that there are rumors of him retiring this year and now there's there's a lot of salary talk and I just I'm not convinced that it's all about salary to be honest. I don't know what it ultimately would be, but I just think that Hamilton is already five steps ahead of everyone else in terms of his career and how he sees things and how he sees his future. So is there something else behind the scenes that we're not seeing that's maybe causing the disagreements? I don't know. I think there could be a difference when you say salary versus money. Mm. I don't, yeah, he said, oh, look, he's, he's one of the richest sports people of the last 10 years. He's well set up for life money-wise. Obviously, you know, Nobody's going to turn down money if they can get it. But in terms of salary compared to other drivers, that could be a bit what it is as well. And salary per contract length might be affecting it as well, you know. So if Mercedes are only offering him a one or two year... Do you think that he's being offered a lot less? I don't know, but that's what you'd maybe think. And as in, it's not, say, as in, it's not the difference of him wanting 40 million, them offering 20 million. It's him being offered 20 million when Max is on what that insane 35 40 million a year contract Alonso's on a lot of money it's bright yeah but they're all there but like Hamilton is still well able to go toe to toe with them any day of the week and he's the most profitable driver to have in your team in terms of sponsorship awareness all that kind of that side of the sport as well so yeah yeah there might be that side of it. I wouldn't be surprised if the length of the contract maybe is what's causing issues as well because that's interesting. Yeah, Hamilton on the other side, I'd say Hamilton would be much happier to be signing one year deals at Mercedes because realistically, I don't, I don't see Mercedes dropping Hamilton because excluding, excluding getting Leclerc yeah. or Norris or maybe Ocon, I don't see who else they'd pull into that team and that they, they might, they want to see basically, they want to have, they want to know George is the next big thing for sure before you get rid of Hamilton. When you look at Alonso, he's well into his forties and racing as well as he has or ever has in his life. If Mercedes let Hamilton go they could, you know, fall victim to that. So my assumption would be Hamilton is looking for a one year yeah. plus one, maybe something like that. So he can keep his options open yeah. coming into the change of regulations if he wants to go for that last title, you know. The last bit of driver drama we have really, I suppose, is the rumours are really starting to pick up pace around DeVries getting dropped mid-season. Liam Lawson, who's a Red Bull junior, had his debut in Super Formula Series there at the weekend and did quite well. I'm pretty sure he won the race. So, you know, that's all he can really ask for. Super Formula is a very highly ranked racing series within the Red Bull family. That's a lot of their drivers would have raced in that before. They really see that as a an in-between from Formula 2 to Formula 1 where people get a bit of experience. It's a series that people can race in as well while they're racing in F2 
on F3 so they can, can drop in and out so if we keep seeing Lawson perform well there it's going to really be heaping the pressure on De Vries with the rhetoric we've had out of Marco over the last while yeah he's very tough on everyone I'd be very surprised if something doesn't come of that I feel like it's very rare that there's rumours on the grid that don't come to fruition like if there's smoke yeah. there's fire sort of thing particularly with that team like if it was any other team yeah other than the Red Bulls like as far as I'm in my opinion is I think it's a done deal that De Vries is out like we've seen it many times before we've seen yeah obviously the big one was Gasly uh, being dropped mid-season by Red Bull like they're very vocal and very there's no two ways about them being cutthroat I almost wouldn't be surprised if they actually got their ideas from the rumour mill like like <laughs> they hear some rumours and Helmut's like that's a great idea <laughs> Helmut's on like the message boards like <laughs> yeah l- Helmut's on Reddit <laughs> yeah look they're cutthroat and they have been from from I've been watching sport but uh, people like get annoyed at them over it I don't well they're obviously doing something right like yeah with with the benefit of hindsight none of the decisions they've made have been bad you know like dropping Fiat and promoting Max was a great decision Gasly needed to be dropped at that point and look at how he progressed going back to half well Tara Rosso at the time Albon needed to get dropped he wasn't performing well enough they've had a myriad of drivers down through history but like you say that but you're skimming over a lot of the stuff you're skimming over like the fact that they decided to demote Gasly and up bring up Albon like that didn't work out for them so like it's not like they didn't make any bad decisions I think it's just that they cycle through so many they make decisions so quickly and act Mm. upon them like you forget about the bad decisions because if you make 10 decisions and 5 of them are good you've made 5 good decisions whereas a lot of the other teams they'll make 3 decisions and 2 of them might be good and then they take their time beating around the bush so I think it's more about action as opposed to always making good decisions I think it's just yeah I agree getting like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks and right we're going to do a quick preview of this weekend's race so the biggest change we'll notice this weekend about monaco is it is the first year the formula one management will actually be running the live stream of the event so traditionally this has all been run by a monaco local set of directors for the race weekend people have always commented down through the years on monaco obviously there's this famous stroll incident a couple of years back but throughout the history of the grand prix it always looked like an outlier compared to the rest of the season and as formula one has got more professional more professional that that gulf has gotten bigger and bigger so the reason apparently that it was always done by the locals was that they were like oh we want to be able to present our country as we see fit not how some outsider comes in and sees fit it doesn't make any sense really because not like, any not anymore at the time you could see the argument you can see the whole of bloody monaco from one camera angle like it's not that big <laughs> yeah but at, at the time you could see why and you see the, the other thing is well at the time they had a lot more pull when they were the glitz and glam race you know up until singapore joined no eight they were the glitz and glam race there was nobody else you know, then Singapore, you have Baku now, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, Vegas, Miami. I think their pull within Formula 1 has really diminished. So they have to give up concessions like this now. And then weather-wise, it's looking like it's going to be a wet weekend. So not hopefully, touch wood, as wet as last weekend was. But yeah, lining up to be raining Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we're in for a challenging weekend for all the drivers, but especially the rookies. You know, I was actually just thinking back through of the current grid i'm struggling to think of a driver who hasn't binned it 
in Monaco at some stage in their career. I feel like they all have. So, you know, it's a very daunting place to go. It's only recently that they started doing F2 and F3 races there. So not a lot of them would have experience in it. It's it's a real pressure event for the year. And if you're somebody like De Vries, who will be under a microscope for his performances, it's po- probably the worst track he could be going to, given his position in the team at the moment. I'm not a fan of Monaco. I think it's not really the best track to be racing on. Do you think the wet weather will have an impact on the excitement of the race? Yes, 100%. Uh, yeah, I, I'd agree with you as well. Monaco isn't a great track. It's one of those, it's it's fantastic to see the cars going around because of the historic element, the danger, the speed. It's, and the hairpin picture. Yeah, all, all of that. So, but it's qualifying is usually the most entertaining part of the Monaco weekend. In the, in the wet, it is quite enjoyable because it's one of the tracks that creates the biggest divide between the good wet weather drivers and the bad wet weather drivers just because of that fear factor that you're so close to the the wall at all times like it's a lot narrower than the majority of other tracks on the calendar so it really does separate that so you'll see drivers being able to overtake in the wet because the good drivers have so much more grip and confidence in their car that they actually can now the bigger cars obviously will affect that a little bit but overall we'll definitely see a more enjoyable race if it's wet but yeah if it's a dry race we're looking fairly standard it's going to be a, a medium to hard or hard to medium procession and yeah, it plays slightly into Sergio's hands, I suppose, that Max has missed one of his favourite tracks and we're now on to somewhere that historically Sergio has been pretty decent around. So It's another street track. Yeah, it helps them a little bit, you know, to dent that lead before we head into what is undoubtedly Max's Do you think the rain will help him? Stretch. Because Sergio um, is decent in the rain as well. He's decent in the rain, but Max is very good in the rain. Also equally, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, if it's wet, depending on how wet it is, I think if it's kind of damp to wet, Sergio will have maybe a slight advantage, especially given last year. But then, you know, Max is Max. He can decide to pull out some mega laps. I think we'll be looking very closely at Alonso and Stroll as well this weekend. I think they will be quite strong. I'm intrigued to see what Mercedes are like because they obviously have their upgrades to bring from Imola that they didn't get to bring here. But this is such a horrible track to assess the benefits of your upgrades just because it's such an outlier compared to the rest of the calendar that they could both them on and understand nothing about them and basically get stuck for the whole weekend and have to revert maybe on Saturday into FP3 to, to an old setup so I, I wouldn't be expecting much out of Mercedes this weekend just because of that I think they, they'll sacrifice this weekend for a bit of learning on the upgrades more so than they will be looking for a big result in the race it's traditionally never been one of their strongest tracks anyway Ferrari obviously Leclerc has his horrible streak to continue in Monaco so that's literally guaranteed at this point yeah like. basically I'm going to make a prediction I'm going to make a very bold prediction I'm going to say that Leclerc is going to win he's not going to have any bad luck the rain's going to be to his benefit and he's going to come out on top yeah I'd love to see it yeah it'd be great you're a dreamer Colin <laughs> we'll give you that I think the Aston Martins will be fun to watch I, I'd love to see Stroll out qualify Alonso and I think he could be in with a shout this weekend if he can get get that car where he wants it to be he hasn't seemed particularly comfortable with it all year so I'm hopeful for him so hopefully we'll get to talk to you next week about an interesting race. Well, firstly, hopefully next week we'll be able to talk to you about a race. Hopefully it'll be interesting. And, you know, because God, it might not be a Red Bull on, on the top step. Introducing a new segment to our lovely fun section. Well, it depends if you think history is fun like I do, then it is a fun section. And if you don't, Nerd. it's just a section. Yeah. <laughs> 
I decided to have a look into the evolution of the F1 teams and this went from firstly on top line, changing the name to the history to more of the financial side. And I also then had a look at the history of the teams that haven't changed their name and even more interestingly, the teams that are no longer around. They no longer exist. And as someone who only recently started following the sport, I found this really, really interesting. And it actually gave a lot of context to the teams and what they're like today and how they're run. So this week we'll be talking about Team Enstone and the Formula One team that we now know as Alpine, which originally started as Tolman and is also known as Lotus and Renault. This one I found completely chaotic, so I thought it would be a good one to start with. So the Alpine F1 team began in 1977. Alpine F1 team started originally in 1977 as Tolman. So the chairman, Ted Tolman, started dabbling in motorsport and he had huge success in Formula 2. Totally dominated in 1980 and so then moved his team into Formula 1 in 1981 and this is where Tolman began. And the most notable signing is of Ayrton Senna in 1984 and he was fresh out of Formula 3 and he notably could have won in Monaco had the race not been stopped due to torrential rain. Does it sound familiar? So I thought that was interesting that that's where Senna started out because I didn't know that. There you go. And unfortunately, that's where they peaked because Tolman struggled then in 1985. And again, this this whole financial thing completely is wild in Formula One. And I feel like we don't talk about it enough in terms of the history. Tolman actually didn't start the first three races in the 1985 season. And they only actually entered one car for the following six races because they had a dispute with their tire suppliers. So they actually couldn't get tires for their cars, which yeah. is wild to me. Pretty important part of the car, like. It is. Turns out it is. Would that have been a common thing back then? Yeah, that generation of F1 was a lot more laissez-faire in terms of who was racing, who was supplying the cars. You could also buy cars at that time, race them as customer cars. It was a lot more everything goes. Like, you know, when you, if you go back and watch, say, Rush with when Nicky Lauda's and Ferrari, that whole thing of them building the cars in the garages and kind of making them kind of tweaks, all that, that was how the sport ran at the time. You know, it was a far reach from what we know of Formula One as the pinnacle of motorsport and all that. It was pinnacle of motorsport at the time, but just it was such a different world. A lot less regulations. (laughs) A lot less regulations, a lot more just crazy stuff, yeah. And this is exactly how things can go incredibly well or it can go incredibly bad like it did for Tolman. So Tolman didn't actually score any points that season with such poor reliability of the car. And they actually, the team only saw the checkered flag twice out of 20 races that year, which is horrific. It's not a surprise then that Benetton purchased the team in 1985 ahead of the 1986 season. Benetton were a fashion brand, yes. Yes, they are United Colors of Benetton. That's yes, the same yeah. that's the same company, which blew my mind. Benetton actually for a few years had dabbled in the world of uh, sponsoring with Formula One. So the original sponsors were Tyrrell, who we now know as Mercedes, and that's for another episode, in 1983. They also sponsored Alfa Romeo in 1984. And I believe there is an overlap in 1985 where they also sponsored Tolman. So this was a natural next step for them to purchase the clearly struggling team. And it, in 1986, Benetton Formula One came to be where they bought the team. And It did pretty well. The team did pretty well. So they won 27 Grand Prix between 1986 and 2001. And Michael Schumacher took the driver's title in 94 and 95, which 
is again interesting from a current fan's point of view because you associate some of these iconic drivers with very iconic teams and I didn't actually know that Schumacher raced for Benetton originally. It's interesting how he ended up there as well because obviously he started out with Jordan F1 but he basically came in as just yeah a rookie they needed a their their driver had got arrested after being in a fight so they needed a driver brought in Schumacher and he raced at Spa but he was already a massive name in German motorsport so they ended up basically selling out Spa that weekend which at the time just didn't really happen that much in Formula 1 you know the, the, the crowds had not dwindled but they weren't weren't as big so basically Bernie Ecclestone at the time stepped in and said hey we have an absolute superstar in our hands here he can't race for Jordan Jordan were obviously only a fledgling team at the time so Eddie Jordan negotiated with them uh, with between Ecclestone and Benetton and got a massive payout from it and that's what helped to continue Jordan wow that's wild wait how did they get a massive payout because they had because they they contracted him yeah oh that's a very interesting actually yeah so Benetton was purchased by uh, Renault but the team still raced under the Benetton name for the 2000 and 2001 seasons and was then transformed in 2002 as the Renault F1 team it was bought for 120 million dollars and this is where Fernando Alonso won his world championships in 2005-2006 Renault then raced under that name until 2011 when it was then changed to Lotus and part of the reason why Renault stepped down as the title sponsor of the team was due to the 2010 crash gate which involved Fernando Alonso and Nelson Piquet Jr. And this resulted in Flavio Biratore being yeeted out of the sport. And this was also due to, to some backroom negotiations. Um, Who's Flavio? I don't think I've heard that name. I've heard about Crash, yes. Flavio Biratore was the manager of Fernando Alonso at the time and the team principal at Renault when they were the works team, yeah. Ah. So, yeah, a lot of this... This makes sense now. A lot of this was never confirmed effectively but mm-hmm. it, it was a bit uh Renault have been accused of massive cheating and race fixing oh Renault have left the sport that seems a bit uh yeah a bit dodge yeah well that version of the Renault team met a sad end yeah in 2011 Renault changed to Lotus F1 team and it's not explicitly related to the legendary car brand Lotus which is what I originally thought uh it's a little bit confusing yeah, because Lotus were obviously a, a legendary team of the kind of 60s, 70s, 80s and really kind of embraced a lot of British motorsport in how they went about things and really took the fight to a lot of the big teams. So you could see why they wanted to use the name, but... This was very confusing because obviously Lotus does pop up in another F1 team and I was confused yeah. as to how the two crossed. There was also a Lotus F1 team that ran in 2010 and then became Caterham for... 2011 to 14 when they folded which was also similarly it was that that was again similarly a licensed race team it wasn't a works lotus f1 team they needed a yeah. recognizable brand to slap onto the car effectively so they got right. got the rights to the name while we're talking about the original lotus works team colin chapman was the pioneering engineer of that he is probably one of the greatest car designers of all time he was known for his mantra of simplify then add lightness so that was how he designed cars. So they like one of the big examples of it was they used to check and see how many wheel nuts they could get away with using on their cars when they ran them in races. That's how precise wow. they were about them. They basically wanted no additional weight in that car. And that's how they competed so well, given their budget. They were just, just amazing cars and handled incredibly. And for the 2011 season, the team competed under the name Lotus Renault GP. 
and then Just Lotus for 2012 to 2015 before reverting back to Renault 2016 to 2020. They, speaking of money, that they basically had none. And part of this was due to the fact that they offered to pay Raikkonen per point when he returned to race with them. And he basically scored a feck ton of points and went way over their predicted budget, which I think is so funny. What a stupid, like, what a stupid way to pay drivers. They just weren't expecting the car to be as good and they weren't expecting Kimi to be as good. And then... He ended up not racing with them for the last few races of, I think, the 2013 season because allegedly he had a back injury, but the, all the reports were that it was... They wouldn't uh, pay him. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious though. Like, again, chaos. Like, <laughs> so unnecessary. So then we had a Renault that raced again uh, for 2016 to 2020 before it became the Alpine F1 team in 2021. So Alpine took over the naming rights to the Renault sub er, which is a Renault sub brand. Sorry. So you will see some Alpine cars, uh, but they are a sub brand of Renault and they are now racing under the lovely French colors. So I would just like to have a quick uh, rundown of the names because this one is, I think, the craziest. So Tolman, Bennett and Formula One, Renault Formula One team, Lotus Formula One team, Lotus Renault Gra- <laughs> Lotus Renault Formula One team, Renault Formula One team, Alpine Formula One team. Jesus, what a mad history. So I hope you enjoyed that little segment uh, for the next couple of episodes. I'm going to try squeeze in a few more nuggets of information like that. And if you do like this segment, please let us know. That'll be it from us this week, folks. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in. We'll be back next Wednesday for our Monaco race review, hopefully if the race goes ahead. So keep an eye out for that episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, be sure to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. It really helps us if you leave us a review and make sure to tell your friends and family to give us a listen. We're also on Instagram at Did You Watch The Race, all one word. And while you're there, be sure to check out Coley Illustrations, who do all of our lovely artwork. You may have seen our Instagram at the weekend. We were away at a wedding for one of our good friends and listeners of the show. So a big congratulations to Connor and Kirsty. And thank you, Connor, for supplying our blooper for this week's episode at about half one on Friday night. So thanks for listening. I've been Colm. I've been Jason. I've been Gemma. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Hello, it's it's Connor. You're listening to Did You Watch the Race? On Audible. No. No. Oh, it's not an audible. No. Oh, it's audible. Just do it again. No, so. Uh, sorry, what's the. Uh, Wait, hi, everyone. Welcome to Did You Watch the Race with Jason Ertney and Colin Galligan. Gemma Hart. And Gemma Hart. Yeah, yeah. I hope you enjoy listening. <laughs>